All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, and this is the uh, the international break edition of the podcast. We've got some international friendlies to talk about. Uh, we're going to dive into what we think the U.S. is going to look like going forward. And this week I am joined by Pardeep Katri. How's it going, Pardeep? I'm doing well, Claire. You not too bad. Not too bad. Dealing with some dealing with some very summery weather. But I guess that actually ties into what we're looking at down (laughs) down in Houston, because the U.S. is dealing with some pretty adverse weather as well. Um, I'm going to roll with the same, even though this is not NWSL, I'm just going to roll with the same question I ask at the top of the show every week. Um, How did it feel watching these two games this week? Well, I mean, it was well, Okay, the first game felt a little bit different than some of the recent games. USWNT games in that they had an opponent that really just they did a really good job defensively. It was a different yeah. rhythm. Uh, the second game felt more like a game we've seen a million times before. This a team, uh, the US team playing a team that is that can't match them. They do the job early, then the game kind of slows down and settles into a pretty. I mean, I guess, relatively speaking, mundane rhythm. So, you know, they, they were games. <laughs> they certainly were games. Yeah, I will. I will go ahead and say that if, if anybody's been following me for however long, they, they know that I I am never quite as excited about international stuff as I am about club play. Um, I don't think that international play has a lot of narrative to it, especially when you're building up to a tournament. <laughs> I think we saw that this week. I don't know what the narrative is here. Um, and we've seen, I mean, obviously there's a lot of men's international soccer going on right now as well. And that is, it's not significantly better than women's international soccer, but right now they are at least in the middle of the big tournament. So the stakes are there. And I think that stakes are what makes international soccer so fun. Um, so friendlies are a little bit of a dip for me. (laughs) Oh, same here. I can never get myself energized for any international friendly ever. Yeah. But the tour, but any tournament, I'm like, oh, I'll watch that. I'm there. Exactly. Exactly. So we're, we'll get there. The U.S. is on their road, right, to getting to yeah. the to the big show. But just um, one month away now. I know it's coming up so quick. Um, it is actually kind of funny, right? We're still doing roster speculation <laughs> when many squads have already announced theirs. Um, so like the U.S., just to drag out yeah. the drama. It so I just want right. to talk. We're going to talk about the Portugal game first, and I do just want to kind of give a rundown of who started this game for the United States, because there were a lot, uh, there was a lot of talk when this ro- when this lineup dropped that like, Oh, maybe this is the team. This is the team that they are going to run out with quite a lot. So we had Alyssa Nair in goal, Kelly O'Hara, Abby Dahlkemper, Becky Sauerbrunn and Crystal Dunn in the midfield. There was Rose Lavelle, Lindsay Horan and Sam Mewis. And in the front line, Kristen press, Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino. This I think was beginning to shape something. And we will talk about this in the second game as well, which is that if Julie Ertz can't go, Vlatko is just going to have Sam Mewis and Lindsay Horan take care of this. Right. Yeah, that was, I think that was probably the big point of intrigue for these friendlies is what does the U S do without Julie Ertz? I guess it didn't take that long to answer. Um, there, Sam Mewis and Lindsay Horan are very capable players. They can they can do the job. I think wh- what did I'm not sure when Vlatko Andonovsky said this either after the first game or the second game, but he thought there was room for improvement from Horan. But yeah, 
clearly these are two capable players. The U.S. seems in solid hands, but it looks like also Julie Ertz might be okay for the Olympics. I think right. that's probably I'm sure better than hope- anything else. Yeah, I'm sure the hope is that she will be ready to go. But obviously, even if she can go, she's not going to be at her best until maybe the later stages of the tournament. So they're going to need that kind of defensive coverage. And I do think that it is significant that we are seeing Vladko very specifically say, I'm going to ask Lindsay Horan primarily to do this, which I think is interesting because I probably would go to Sam Mewis first. Yeah. Um, instead of really looking at someone like Andy Sullivan, to to join the team i think that this is the theme Uh, maybe i'll be wrong i think what we've seen in the last two games is that they know the only question in that midfield right now is between christy mewis and katarina macario and i just think that that is the case and i think that also julie Ertz is going to go because they're not planning to replace her (laughs) so yeah yeah no i think basically whoever's been part of the established group of players they're going it's not a question they'll have to figure out other roles if they need to but we know who's going. We know who's not, I think, at least in that case. Yes, for sure. Um, want to talk about the front line as well. Um, I'll go ahead and say, you know, I, uh, when we were doing our predictions for this year, I thought I didn't know if Megan Rapino had it in her to be someone who not only makes a squad, but really earns it. Um, it seems like Vlako Andonovsky and this team, despite the fact, or even because she took most of 2020 off, maybe that was really helpful, um, have said that she she's their starting left winger. And I am a little bit, not surprised is the wrong word, but you see these things kind of come together and you're like, wow, these players that I thought maybe were done are, are not done. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I think I've been surprised for the last several years that Megan Rapinoe has really carried on at this level. <laughs> Because I, I just remember during the 2019 World Cup, what? How old was she then? Not 33, 34. It's 30, not that, 33 turning 34. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's not that common for a player at that age to have that tournament. Right. To be like the central focus of the tournament. And, but it, it. So already, I've sort of been surprised for a couple of years now. But I, I remain surprised that she's longevity i feel like we've spent a lot of years watching players maybe not age at a rate that they want to on this team i think we've spent a lot of time talking about players who maybe aren't at a level that they think they're at but megan yeah i mean i'm I'm like automatically i think that's fair yeah i think that's a certainly totally fair thing to say like what automatically off the top of my head i'm thinking of abby wambach and i'm thinking of carly lloyd who sure she's a different case but megan rapino has unquestionably been in great form she's unquestionably been deserving of a starting spot that's that's a lot of credit to a player who's now going to be 36 this year. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yeah, I think the thing for me that I don't know if I thought was going to be true or wanted to be true, but I do think that this is what we're seeing and this is informing some of these choices on the front line is that I actually think between Megan Rapino and Lynn Williams, you have the perfect player. But unfortunately, they are two people and not one. <laughs> <laughs> and so it seems like when you are looking at which player is bringing more Lynn Williams has not really set the NWSL on fire this year so far. 
she is someone who has had some pretty high profile kind of wasted choices on the international stage. And I think Megan Rapinoe has made herself very difficult to drop, despite the fact that Megan Rapinoe, I mean, I think we talk about this game, the US didn't do an amazing job of breaking down this low block. And I think the heat got to some some of those players as well. And I think Megan Rapinoe is one of those players that I, in adverse conditions, she's not always set up to play at her best. But I think that's the person that they're going with. Um, I don't know. Again, I don't know if I can say definitively right or wrong, but these are kind of the trends that we're seeing, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so talking about the low, the low block from Portugal, very organized defensively. Uh, the U.S., almost doesn't win this game, right? It was a late set piece goal from Sam Mewis, uh, which classic U.S., right? <laughs> um, but it does make you think in the grand scheme of things. I feel pretty confident saying, and we're going to, I'm going to list off some other results from some other teams. The U.S. really looks like the strongest team going into the Olympics right now, pretty definitively, except it's hard to bet against the field, right? In a knockout tournament if they can oh, do yeah. what like Sweden did against the U S earlier this year, or what Portugal was able to do for 85 minutes this week, how do you, it's just really hard to get through these games. If someone is able to defend against you like that. Yeah. I think a credit to the U S when usually they play, when they play these games, they still manage to find a way. That's kind of the point. That's, I mean, that's what makes you like a world beater is even when you're playing a garbage game or maybe just not your bet. You're not playing your best game. You're still managing to get that result. It does make me wonder if they need to prepare differently in the case that an opponent is going to show up and do that. Right. But I don't know. I mean, this is kind of a different conversation now. When you're, I mean, when you're tasked with coaching a team, it's not just about winning games. It's about how you win them. And I don't see, I don't see this team changing their style because I mean, that's a point of respect for them. Right. Yeah. No, I totally get that. Yeah. I think that we've seen, especially a Vladko Andonovsky team be very interested in a high full team press. Right. But there are ways to deal with that. And one of those ways is just to say, okay, we'll have the ball then and yeah. we'll see how you do with it. So we saw that against Portugal. I thought that game, I don't know if it was a real banger of a match itself, but perhaps presented an intriguing glimpse into how you could play the U.S. during this tournament, especially if they're in like game five and they're kind of tired and yeah. just even mentally, you know. I mean, that's uh, why the team's in Texas now, too, because the right. weather could be really hot and horrible. Yeah. And if you're tired and the weather sucks, oh, my gosh, anything can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then maybe a good segue though, from, from this first game to the second one is a player who, who started both matches, which is, uh, Kristen press. So I want to talk about, I think right now she's far and away. I mean, I think Lindsay Horan is playing quite well, but also she's been put in a position where she's not super comfortable. So it's not like she is in a place to even sort of shine the way she has been for Portland, but in this system, press right now is the person that you're like starting every single game right because she has oh, been playing yeah. incredibly well it's a, i have to give a lot of credit to Kristen press because she's always she's she's remarkably consistent and 
she what an asset to this team. She always feel to me. I always feel like she should be the person start. She, I mean, she should be in conversation to start. Yeah, she kind of almost never does in the big games, which is kind of weird. I mean, I guess it isn't weird, but also kind of is. Anyway. <laughs> well, I think I think Vladko's figured out a good a good system, which is that he's not, and this is something that is going to be controversial because guys, I think Carly Lloyd is making this roster because she is your oh, backup yeah. number nine. And Kristen Press is not. Kristen Press is going to be playing out wide. Just that's just where she's going to be, but she's going to get starts. So I, I just think that she kind of put into this wide position has thrived when sort of given that one job and for the first time has figured out a way to turn that into starts. Yeah. And some of that has to do with Tobin Heath coming back from injury. I'm going to be completely honest. I think Heath probably makes it too. I oh, think me this too. Roster is just not going to have a lot of surprises. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to, I wanted to mention press because as we go into the second game, which the U S won four to nothing versus Jamaica on goals from Carly Lloyd, Lindsay Horan, Midge purse, and we'll get there. And Alex Morgan, press is your consistency and i think she not only is playing very well but she's very fit there's just like no fitness questions for her which is going to be important as you have to kind of crank these games out in this high heat so let's talk about the starting 11 though versus jamaica because we saw a lot of rotation finally yes (laughs) some of which i think means something and some of which i don't know i think it's kind of a mix um so the starting 11 against jamaica was 80 french in goal Emily Sonnet, Abby Dahlkemper, Tierna Davidson, Crystal Dunn, back line, uh, midfield of Rose Lavelle, Lindsay Huran, Katarina Macario, and then a front line of dun da 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 Midge Purse, Carly Lloyd, and Kristen Press. So Midge starting up top. I'm going to ask you a question that I know you don't know the answer to, but it was on my <laughs> mind, which is, is this giving up on Purse at outside back and saying, okay, go win a spot as a striker? Or is this just a versatility game? Show me what you got. We might still bring you on as a defender. Instinctively, I think it's the second. Mm -hmm. Because, look, it's a roster of 18 people. And I think, because Purse got some minutes in the back line during this game. I think Sonnet also was one of the people that played multiple roles in this game. I think for some people, this was a test of versatility. Show me how good you are in multiple places because I need as much versatility I can get. Yeah. I do think that Purse's versatility is what makes it so difficult to leave her off this roster. You mentioned Emily Sonnet. I'm going to say that I think I, again, I don't know if I'm right. I think what we've seen between these two games or even games in, in the last couple of months is that Tierna Davidson is CB three. Uh, shout out to Alana cook, who is very, very good. It seems like she's the, we've got next kind of a player. She's not getting playing time. I think Tierna Davidson has been picked as the straight up, just straight up rotation third center back when either Dahl Kemper or Sauerbrunn can't go. They are not really playing the versatility game with her. I think they want her to be very honed in on that one job because they're expecting her to be able to have to play it, which means that it's between Purse and Sonnet right now, I think. And yeah. we saw Emily Sonnet playing outside back against Jamaica. We saw Mitch Purse playing up top plus outside back. I like Emily Sonnet. I think she's a really good player. I think she's not an outside back. And I think she is more not an outside back than Midge Purse is. And so for yeah. me, 
I'm taking purse. Right. That's, that was my feeling too. Cause I don't think, I don't think you bring Midge purse because you need more attacking talent. They obviously don't need that though. She's very useful going forward. Uh, but you bring her because at the end of the day, you need to make a choice about who's playing on the wing. Right. And purse, I think has won that battle. Yeah. Um, right. Cause I think with Emily Sonnet, I would play her as a six or I would push her towards bowl. They were saying this in the, you know, Daniel Slayton, I think did a, a really good job uh, on, on the broadcast, but saying things like, you know, she had some defensive moments, but she was really great in the attack. And I'm like, yeah, but that's what Emily Sonnet does. Emily Sonnet is a very good ball winner. She's a good distributor. She has eyes towards, she has head on a swivel 100% of the time. And she's trying to generate attack. I just don't think she does a great job of doing it from a left back position. Yeah. Big shock. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And it's, I'm not blaming her for it, but it's, there are too many mistakes and there's too much discomfort. And so I'm like, right player, wrong position absolutely they're not actually seriously considering her as a number six replacement i don't know i don't know exactly how she fits yeah i Um, agree completely so moving into the final this is my final point of contention i think for the the roster because as i said i think carly lloyd's going i think she's back at number nine it's just a rotation between her and alex morgan um katarina macario christy mewis who do you take party? Uh, oh gosh. I don't know. I know there's um, no bad answer, but no, maybe there's right. also no good answer. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to pick the second. There's no good answer. Um, well, I looks like what I think they, I think Mewis has actually probably played a little bit more, but that's also not, that's not exactly Macario's fault. She wasn't eligible until very recently. Who do I take? I think right now my instinct is Macario. Okay. I, my mind could change in five minutes. Don't ask me again. Sure. <laughs> but I think she maybe she need like maybe she needs to be uh like there's I mean there's obviously still a developmental aspect there, but I think she offers a little bit more right now than Mewis does. And that pains me to say, because I've been so excited at the idea of Christy Mewis making her way back into the national team and then going to the Olympics. But right now I will go with Macario. Okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll counterpoint. I'll, I'll present the, the countering argument, which is that I think that Katarina Macario is going to be one of the best soccer players in the world in the next three years. But I think right now you take Christy Mewis. And it's a bummer because you want to bring that young player. You want to help them develop. You want them to go through this experience. And you also, to a certain extent, I know we don't like talking about rewarding people, but you do want to reward a player like Macario because she is going to be one of the best players in the world. And she chose this team. However, we've seen Macario struggle to impose herself into games on the international level, which I think just comes from, she just hasn't played that many professional That's true, games. yeah. Christy Mewis is more limited in that, I don't know if she's a starter, but when you bring her on, she is someone who I think is elevated by the people around her in a way that she is able to find passing lanes because the U.S. does such a good job of making runs. And she's able to 
attack goal with a certain amount of confidence because she knows that she's got people behind her to back her up. And I think that what we've seen is when Christy Mewis comes onto the field, games kind of change. And the U.S. right now obviously has a number of game changers. But if you're really, if your number one concern is winning a gold medal right now, I think maybe you take Christine Mewis. But again, I can't argue against Macario either. Yeah. So it's 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 tough. It's some of these. It's like Williams versus Rapino or uh, Lloyd even, or not Lloyd, uh, uh, Heath versus Williams or Macario versus Christine Mewis. No one has done well or poorly enough to really be definitive. And so I think also some of this will come into what we can't see, which is what happens in training. Right. Um, so last one, last, last, uh, and this one I have a clear answer for. I know how I feel. Uh, goalkeeper. French or Campbell? French. Yeah. I mean, I, yes. I think you just have to pick the, uh, the player who's better. <laughs> Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, I, I'm not, sometimes again, you just is, have to pick the player who's better. That's I know. Look, I mean, look at me, the, these very profound things. Yeah. That I, say. <laughs> I mean, that's not to disrespect Jane Campbell. No, who, not at all. I mean, it's just like what you were saying. These are all, there are a lot of really great players who are going to get their hearts broken, not because they didn't try hard enough and they didn't do well enough, but credit to Jane Campbell for really, I mean, she's played a lot for the U S team. Now she, it looked like she was really being developed for this role as the backup goalkeeper. Maybe it's probably hers in the future, but I think I'm going to go with, I I have a hard time picking anyone other than French. Yeah. I think with French, the story of her career is always the, the, if she's healthy, the, if she's healthy question. And she was not healthy for all of 2020. She's very lucky that everything got postponed, but she's healthy now. And so she's always someone that you check in, you make sure she's feeling good, that her body's feeling okay. And then if it is, she's, she's your number two. And I think that that's just the right place, right time um, with the ability that she has. So yeah, I agree. I take French Campbell can come as an alternate. Um, I think there are a number of goalkeepers in that goalkeeper pool and not to like get way ahead of ourselves. But I think after these, this tournament is done, you invite at least four different goalkeepers in and say jobs completely open, go win it. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's the U S any, actually I have one final thing. So we're talking a lot and this is of course, lots of talks about individual performances, whose stock has gone up, whose stock has gone down, but looking at the U S as a whole, you go back to that performance against the Netherlands at the end of 2020 and just how impressive that game was from them. It seems like in, because they are in the individual evaluation stage still less cohesive performances from them, maybe a little bit less dominating. They're not alone in this. As I said, a lot of other teams are looking kind of middling right now. Um, Do you think the U S pulls it together or do you think that, the fact that they're still tinkering with roster stuff is is an issue for the timing. I'm not betting against the U.S. right now. <laughs> yeah, I know it's just tough to do, right? Yeah, I mean, it would it would obviously if you're a neutral, it would be fun to see somebody else do it. But I think this team, I they have a habit of just pulling everything together at the right time, even if there's you know a loss to France before the tournament or there's a game against Portugal where they almost didn't win. They just pull it together. 
I'm not, I, I'm not going to bet against them. Yeah. And I think also they did, they have benefited from the year off. You know, we talk about how no team has ever gone back to back. Well, us won't really be going back to back. If they do do this, they got a full year. So that means that Alex Morgan is back and yes. in top form and that 80 French was able to get healthy again. Or even, I just think Tierna Davidson, the development that she's yes. been able to make, even just in the last four months, I think is really beneficial to the team. I, yeah, I think it's hard to bet against them, but also would kind of love to see it, you know? So we'll see. Yes. That. Yeah. Um, a couple of other talking about international results, because this is maybe to help contextualize this U S conversation, because we're talking about two performances from the U S that are really only okay, but we're still very high on them. And here's why nobody else is really playing better. <laughs> um, so looking at some other notable results, uh, from Olympic bound teams, Australia lost to Denmark three to two in a game that was a that for a while was three to nothing. And Australia is the same team that we saw in 2019. They have a really impressive amount of attacking firepower. They're very fun. Their individual defending is quite poor still. And it's not like a system thing, not a coaching thing. It's just like, do they have the players to hold up? And they are in this group, uh, not of, of death, but maybe a group of struggle with Sweden and with the US. And so you look at some of those results. I don't think they've won in a while and they really haven't played together all that much. Um I don't know. So that's a team that I don't know if you bet against, but still a lot of question marks and the games are rapidly approaching. Um the Netherlands lost to Italy one to nothing this past week. Uh Brazil like did chaos. I know, right? Italy looks great. I mean this is also the funny thing too with the way that the Euro the UEFA does Olympic qualifying. It was the top three teams in the 2019 World Cup, which is a rough way to do qualifying in a good year. It's yes. especially silly after a year off because the best teams in Europe right now are not necessarily these teams that are uh, going to be playing in the tournament. Though, again, I like Sweden. I do like Sweden. Um, so the Netherlands lost to Italy. Canada tied the Czech Republic nil nil. Again, same stuff. They just are not clinical in front of goal. Yeah. <laughs> And it was a little bit, it was a little bit rough and a little bit boring. Uh, Brazil did beat Russia three to nothing. And Brazil is playing Canada uh, today as we are later for we're recording on Monday. So keep an eye out for that score. Cause I'm sure that will also be illuminating. Oh yes. And then Sweden is playing Australia on Tuesday, the 15th. That's the other big game that's coming up. Um, and then Japan, after having some tough results against close competition, haven't really been playing any close competition recently. They have been keeping it safe. They've been playing at home. So they've been inviting countries in to play them. And like they beat the Ukraine eight to nothing last week. Uh, they beat Mexico five to one. It's really difficult to tell exactly how they line up with their peers based on some of the results, but you could probably I mean, you could say the same thing yeah. about the U S but it's, it's just kind of hard to determine. So um, party final question for this segment do you have any other team that you like their chances in, in the Olympic tournament or just that you like, do you have a fave? Hmm. That's a good question. I am interested to see how the Netherlands does one last time with Strino Weigman. Mm -hmm. uh, Brazil were the, were the team I, I, uh, during the, she believes cup. Do you remember that a million years ago? Uh, <laughs> They were, I, I found them impressive at times. Uh, so those are two teams that I am interested in. I feel like Sweden could 
throw a wrench into pl- many people's plans. I do like Sweden. I yeah, yeah, I think that they they are a team that that I would keep an eye on for sure. Yeah. Um, so off the top of my head, those would be the teams that I would look out for. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, I wish we had more definitive tape on Japan because I I want to be really high on them as well. Host host country. I really like their style of play. I think when they put it all together, they can be really formidable. But what we just don't know is if they can put it all together. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I, I agree. I think it'll be fun. I think I'm going to be honest. My expectations are a little bit tempered. I think coming off of a pandemic year, these teams did not get a lot of training time together. Some of them did not get to even be in their home countries very much. It it might be a little bit rough to start out. And I think that we just have to have some patience for that. But yeah. Maybe that'll work in our favor. Maybe we'll get some bangers. We'll get some upsets uh, and it'll be, it'll be a good time. All right, here's hoping so, for some drama. That's right. That's all we can hope for. All right. So that is section one talking about the international break. We will be back with just some pieces of NWSL news that have trickled out over the last week or so in the next segment. So stay tuned. All right. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I'm going to do the thing that I do at the top of section B every show. I'm going to ask you to rate and review the podcast. Give us a five-star rating, say some nice things and wherever you find your streaming services, just to help people find us, it boosts us up in the algorithm. It helps people find the show and uh, it does us a huge help. So go ahead and give us a rating and a review. Uh, once again, I am joined by party Katri and we're just going to talk through, it's kind of some off season stuff, right? People yeah. took the opportunity between, between games to drop some news. Uh, thing number one, biggest piece of news, which is also not really news at all, which is just that San Diego is a go San Diego NWSL is happening and it is happening in 2022. Uh, it is a project run by Jill Ellis and, it, they are going to kind of be venueless for a while. They've got a, a short-term venue deal. I imagine, here's my take on it, which is that we know that the development of this has been ongoing for a long time, which means I think they're ready to go. Meaning that I would expect a coaching hire very soon. I would expect branding very soon. I think that the fact that this just got announced is not indicative of where they are in the project. So I would expect expect a lot of news coming in soon from them. Um, thoughts on San Diego party? Um, the branding was re- uh, the promotional shots were nice. <laughs> the beach. No, the, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not my only thought. Um, Jill Ellis being there has kind of been an open secret for a little while. I am very interested to see how she does in this follow up act to being the U.S. coach because I think. I mean, we've, we've, I think we've all talked about it for a while that going back into coaching for her might not be the perfect follow-up act, but I think having something where she has was control, which is not something she's unfamiliar with. She had similar roles at U S soccer for a little while. It's going to, it's just going to be interesting to see. And it seems like they're a very ambitious group of well, well, that's actually just her right now in the ownership group, but they seem ambitious. Obviously, there's some reporting to suggest that Casey Stoney is in the mix to yeah. uh, be the coach there. It, like I said, it seems ambitious for now. I'm excited to see how that goes. I think yeah. the only the only thing that I have a little bit of concern of, which I believe I've shared before on this podcast, is the stadium situation. Right. But, you know, I, I won't drone on about it again. Promise. Right. So the stadium situation is that, uh, and we've talked about this before, which is just real estate, not even in women's soccer, just in soccer in general in this country is really tough. It's difficult for soccer teams to get stadium deals 
cities are very reluctant to invest in those projects with which I fully understand. Yes. Um, and so like for San Diego, they are going to be playing in, in temporary, a, a temporary place. But the idea of a permanent home is still like a wish and a dream right now. Yeah. So it's not actually a plan for a permanent home. It's more like we would like one. And so working with the USL team, San Diego loyal, I think they said they're keeping an eye on, I think San Diego state just announced that they are there or they are finalizing a project to open an American football stadium. Sometimes that works in the favor for soccer teams, but um, it's an issue. It's definitely an issue. However, I'm, I'm happy that we're going to get two teams. I think keeping an even number of teams is really important. I think that there's at least enough pomp and circumstance, enough flash to this Jill Ellis announcement to San Diego that it feels like if, even if they're not quite on angel city's level that you can just go for a lot of people, you can be like the two California teams, you know, and they have similar vibes. Um, There's a respectable vibe right now for sure. Yeah. Agreed. So just a real tbd we'll kind of see how it all goes i think that it's going those are going to be locations that players are going to want to play in i think it's going to be probably a pretty gnarly expansion draft process yeah we're not there yet um yeah i mean i think i've i've expressed my my same concerns but i i think it's better this than than nothing so oh well hopefully that's true yeah uh, yeah so congrats to san diego you are getting an nwsl team other things we've seen some other kind of returns some some good looks at, at the growing nwsl uh some unexpected player returns actually returns maybe being the wrong word but nadia nadim signed with racing louisville for a three-year deal for a long time long contract with them um she is joining rejoining christy holly who was her coach at sky blue uh one has to presume that they had a good working relationship there and that was kind of the connection we also got news that Alana Cook is leaving PSG and is coming to go play for OL Reign. And PSG has seen a lot. I mean, those are two PSG players who, yeah. who, are, who are looking elsewhere. They're not the only ones. Uh, there are some PSG players who are even just swapping over to Lyon. Um, but it, it, I think this is cool because it does coincide with the already announced signings and the debuts of Marojan and Buadi, and we're going to get Eugenie Lee-Somer soon. And I think that um, this has to feel a little bit like a reversion to the NWSL is a desirable place to play. I think things yeah. were very scary during the pandemic year for this league. There was a fear that this was going to be it, that the country's poor response to the pandemic was going to irreparably alter the league's reputation on the world stage. And we're seeing some signs that that's not true, right? Yeah. I mean, it's so fun watching the balance of power in women's soccer right now because it always feels like it's tilting in one direction and then somebody else to something else. But yeah, I think probably what ended up helping the NWSL is that not all of its players left. Not all of its top players ended up going somewhere else, even if a lot of them did. And then... I mean, and clearly what Sam Ewis left was she came back almost right. right away. Rose Lavelle did too. That's a little bit of a different situation. So it probably helped. I think as badly as the this country dealt with the pandemic, some of the recovery aspects of it have actually been relatively speedy. Like I think, I mean, like the vaccine rollout here has been good. And I think that's probably been encouraging to a lot of different people yeah. in this country and outside of this country. 
Yeah, I mean, the NWSL, it, it's kind of back to the gold standard in find, in getting the top players. I think probably the one league that definitely is now trending downwards is the FAWSL, right? But they were the biggest uh, beneficiary of players leaving in the first place. Right, and I mean, I think ultimately it just comes down to every league has pros, and every league has issues. And I think, you know, for a while, the NWSL's issues were front and center. And we own those. We talk about them on, on this podcast all the time. But now that the other teams are in their uh, other leagues are in their offseason, we're like, okay, so FAWSL has a lot of really good things happening, but they also have issues. And then, you know, the French League has a lot of really good things happening, but they have issues. And so every league, not surprising, right? Because that's life, has, has good things and bad things. And, and players are making choices about, where they want to be. I think also just what we're seeing is finally this, this more open market of um, allocation money. We're seeing loan deals. We never really saw loan deals like this in the past. So it's like the women's game is starting to grow up a little bit as well, where a team like all ring can bring some players in from, from their European squad and just sign them on loans and say, you're going to come here till the end of the season. And then you can go back. And I think that all of those are really positive developments and you know i just think that like kind of like everything there's no clear narrative it's just more people making personal choices for them and the state of the world does go into that we've seen that more than more than ever you know i think it's very easy for fans to be like oh they did this because this league is better or they wanted this opportunity or this prestige or but they're, they're just people making choices for their yeah. lives and we, we're all kind of making those choices as well we I mean it's even kind of what we saw from mark persons i will just say that i'm just excited to see some 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 of these players play right uh, and does it, i mean to go back a little bit to what you were saying there are always going to be destinations outside of the nwsl that sure. players are going to want to play at yes like the uh, the top teams in a bunch of different countries are always going to want to be places where people play even if you know a couple of leon players are technically leaving leon is still going to be a destination for a little while right exactly. but also on this note i think one thing that is also working in the NWSL's favor is that across the board, it seems like the facilities are better here. Yeah. Or, yeah. I do think that there is a higher, higher expectation for training facilities, right? Yeah. Um, there are fewer teams. Sometimes that also works, works in a, in a league's favor in terms of quality control. Yeah. Like what, what is the support? What is the material support? We talk, I mean, was this is like a tale as old as time. Is it literal dollars? Do you want to go someplace where you are getting paid more actual dollars? Do you want to go someplace where there's limits on that, but your lifestyle is supported in a more uh, cohesive way for all teams? You know, I, we obviously acknowledge that the top teams in all of these other leagues treat their players quite well, but it's just not the same across the board. Um, yeah, I think that these are all things that we'll be talking about for a long time. And as I said, it's not really linear. I think you're going to have teams yeah. that leagues that are really booming for a while, and then you're going to have some things get reshuffled. And I think that's all good because I think that ultimately it just means that everyone is getting to getting better at the same time. Right. And that stuff goes into coaching decisions too. I mean, if you're going to follow one narrative, you can follow Casey Stoney's maybe. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But absolutely. Look, it's just going to be a lot of different combinations that will work better for some people, better for other people. Yeah. And I, I look, it's just everybody kind of growing together, which is mm -hmm. not a bad thing at all. Agreed. Agreed. So, yeah. So, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you are obviously a women's soccer fan, but I just can't recommend enough. Go buy an NWSL ticket if you can make a trip, 
Go see. Some, I really go thought see some you were going to cool say Vine and WSL Club for a second. I was like, how? Well, yeah, you could do that too. I guess. <laughs> Who's listening to this podcast? <laughs> um. So just some other little things. Uh, yeah, the USL um announced the relaunch after dormant a number of dormant years of the USLW league. Um. I am, I don't know how interested I am in getting into a long discussion about lower tier women's soccer in this country. Um, but we are at least seeing more interest in it. The USL, uh, relaunching the W league, obviously the WPSL has existed for a long time. Uh, and has talked about being interested in starting a women's side as of right now, there is no professional lower second tier women's league that is still true for the uslw league which really just puts them in competition with the wpsl uh i think that more is good more is better i think that when you're announcing leagues like this what you have to expect is a certain amount of redundancy and consolidation and eventually this will turn into a second tier women's league that pays its players but we're just not there yet so I would say that I'm happy to see it more is better, but I am not, there's no like, Oh, is this competition for the NWSL? No, definitely not. not. Yeah. No, it seems like it will just be the lower league with maybe the best resources. Right. I think that's probably the place it wants to be. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, I know that there are like the WPSL is a destination for a lot of amateur players for college players to play in the summer. I don't know if the W league wants to get in on that. I it's just, there's a lot of stuff going on, but yeah. So I would say good news, but it's, it's hard to get too excited about it because I like it when payers get played or players get paid even. Um, totally. Last thing talking about, uh, honors Christy Pierce, uh, was told this week that she was first ballot uh, admitted into the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. Um, Well-deserved, right? Yes. I think they've said that, as, as I understand it, like you have to, you just got to get every every player on that 99 team in the Hall of Fame eventually. Yeah, you do, you um, the moment that they're eligible. The larger topic of conversation, though, is that Hope Solo has still been boxed out from that honor. Um, which seems ridiculous, right? Yeah. I mean, I am on her ability. It's shocking. Am I genuinely that surprised? No, I think sometimes these things boil down to something as simple as being liked and having enough. And it's not just, you know, having friends, but having friends and other people who like you who are willing to talk up your reputation. And I don't think she has anyone that's really willing to do that. So it's not surprising to me that she continues to receive this sort of reception from people voting in this category. I think at some point 
this kind of momentum. I mean, again, we're having this conversation. People will pay attention to the fact that we have that this conversation is being had. Right. So, Every time she doesn't get in and people go, that's ridiculous. That's maybe pushing yeah. it towards her finally making right. it. Right. It's sort of like that Leonardo DiCaprio Oscar effect. Like <laughs> yeah, every exactly. time it's like, he still hasn't won one. He yeah. still hasn't won one. People do this effect for Amy Adams, please. Yeah, right. but, uh, <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I think maybe at some point people will just be like, oh yeah, she isn't in it. And there will probably be enough distance from right. all of her off the field things right but yeah I, I look i'm not surprised she's a very controversial person i don't think she has a lot of people who are willing to advocate for her and even a very simple capacity right now yeah i mean you're totally right a lot of this just this co- does come down to popularity we see this with fifa world player of the year or the ballon d'or it you gotta have people it's like you it is kind of like an oscar campaign you need your four-year consideration uh people to kind of put the feelers out and say hey uh you need to honor this person um i agree i would like to think that she will eventually make it in i am not completely shocked that voters have in or even just like a, a block or whatever of, of voting for her right away Sometimes people use these opportunities to like weirdly punish people who they think have treated them badly. It's, it's, it's tough. It's all just people voting on stuff. So, um, but on her ability, she is, she's the greatest American goalkeeper of all time. Absolutely. No question question about it. And the U S doesn't win the medals that they have won without her. And you want for the women's game, for that kind of excellence, regardless of everything else, to be rewarded because it should be taken seriously what what she did in her career. Um, so that's my thought on that. I don't get a vote. If I did, <laughs> I'd vote for. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Anything? Any other thoughts on on this week? Any bigger picture stuff? Party? Um, no. But one thing on the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame, they generally need to do better at uh, increasing the number of female players that get inducted every year right because what well, yeah or, i mean there's is the only player too. we're talking about that wait who who made it this year it was christy pierce, pierce. yeah that's it that's all we have to talk about yeah that that there were more there are more than like there, there are more players worth talking about there are well more right players. it's so funny because we right we're talking about hope solo as being kind of a lightning rod topic but she's also up against just the same sexism that everybody yeah. else is. So that makes it even harder. Yeah, no, you're totally right about that. Um, so the U S does have one more game to play. They will be playing it on uh, Wednesday and we will talk about that next week. We also will have uh, our slate of NWSL games back. So yeah. been a nice little international break. Good to get a little bit of a breather, but we're right back in it with club play next time. So I have been Clary Watkins, your host. Thank you so much, Pardeep. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. And I also keep forgetting to shout out Blue Wire, who is our our, uh, our podcast provider now. Uh, this has been the Equalizer podcast. We'll see you guys all next week. <laughs>